Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is somebody who uh, who said, you know what? In Europe, selling on Amazon is kind of a pain. And then he got excited about it because he realized that that was the opportunity that he could seize. And when I first met him, I just kept grilling him and saying, well, Amazon's got all this stuff covered. Doesn't Amazon have warehouses? He goes, yeah, not exactly the way that uh, most sellers need it. I said, doesn't Amazon have all these uh, return policies? He goes, yeah, but not exactly the way that it's needed in Europe. I had no idea. I thought that Amazon was at least in retail, that they were all powerful. Today's guest says no, and he created a business to help fill in the gaps where Amazon cannot. Um, his company is called Marketplace Distry. His name is Steph Van Bokel. He is coming to us straight from Tuscany. I asked him why. I said, well, who doesn't want to live in Tuscany? Come on, Andrew. We're going to find out how he <laughs> built up his company thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first will help you host your website right. It's called HostGator. Check him out at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second said, Andrew, we'd like you to write something to teach people how you're having these great conversations with uh, so many entrepreneurs help us have better conversations. I said, all right, I'll write it. And you guys can get it directly right now free at unbounce.com slash Mixergy. Steph, good to have you here, man. Thank you, Andrew. Very excited to, to be here. Dude, so I don't understand it. Amazon has warehouses all over Europe, don't they? They need you, your sellers need you to have a warehouse? Well, yes and no. Of course, Amazon has its own infrastructure, but uh, when it comes to the complete operation, that's much more than warehousing. There's warehousing, there's logistics, there are returns, there's customer support, review management, there's content management, and there is no such thing as a European strategy. So for I get, but I get, I get review. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep interrupting because I want to make sure yeah, yeah, that sure. I get this. I understand review management. Amazon is not going to help a, a seller get the best reviews on their uh, on their products, but Let's talk about warehouses. You have actual warehouses and Amazon has warehouses, right? And correct, you'll, you'll talk about returns and all and customer service. What's the difference between the warehouses you have in Europe and the ones that Amazon has? Why would anyone use you? Well, for example, only the complexity to, to ship goods from the US direct to an Amazon warehouse that uh, often gives a lot of complexity. So products are often rejected at the Amazon warehouses. So we act as a hub. Uh, as let's say a gateway to to Europe, and meaning from somebody from from the US might have product to ship to Europe, and when it comes into Europe, it gets rejected by Amazon or by customs in Europe. Correct, both. Both. Uh, uh, but also, what is also the difficulty is not that you, when you ship to Germany, you can automatically also ship to all the other European countries, or so you're shipping apart to. Poland, Netherlands, Sweden, and uh, Italy, Spain, UK, France. Okay. So it's a becomes a wide a big shipment. Uh, so what we act as a sort of hub. So they ship everything to one location, and we spread it to all the different locations to give you a little bit of an idea. Only in Germany there are already forty uh, Amazon warehouses. So when you want to create a shipment, uh, it in often cases, it's already not one location in the country, but there are several. And if you want to work on a European level, and that's definitely something I advise on, on the long term, you're talking about a lot of different shipping locations, a lot of complexity, returns, and of course, a lot of risks, because if you're shipping from the, from the US, you're still responsible until Amazon uh, actually accepted your goods. And then do you decide which Amazon warehouses it goes into in, say, Germany, for example? 
Well, uh, yes, I know that it depends on a bit of the, the contact of the client, but okay. for, uh, we, we, let's say, constantly check where we see the new uh, the new potential and what the stock reporting shows. Okay. And then we adjust it uh, based on those data to which location it needs to be shipped. Wow. All right. I would assume that Amazon does that. You're doing that, but you're are you ever shipping directly to the customer or only from the uh, from the seller? to Amazon's warehouses? So we, we mainly use uh, with Amazon FBA because of the prime uh, solution that of course is really crucial for the conversion. Okay, so that's one thing. Returns, what do you do that Amazon's not handling for your clients? Well, in, in, in some cases you are, you are able to ship directly to Amazon, but also uh, it's often mandatory to have a local return address. So in addition to Amazon, they need to have a local return address? Yeah, yeah, correct. Doesn't Amazon have a local return address in every country? Well, the depends the, the also a bit uh, on uh, on how the client reacts. If they see, for example, who they bought and they decide to ship direct to the client, they should be having that option. As well, next to Amazon, of course, is the market leader. A lot of other marketplaces. And also, if you want to do business with more than one marketplace, it's mandatory. So if you do business with more than one others. marketplace... You as the seller need to have a, a return location in every country. Got it. And most businesses yeah. don't have it. They don't want it. They come to you. You handle it for them. This is crazy already complicated. And we've only touched like 5% of, of what you do. You right. told our producer, Ari, I love that it's this complicated. Because? Yeah, yeah because of the complexity. Because that makes my position, of course stronger in the, in the future. So Amazon has been for years only active in five countries and in the last six months they opened three countries. So it's not only that they're opening two countries but also you need for example the content management also on a local market. So what we actually do, we have somebody from the Netherlands and from Poland actually working in-house that's developing the local strategy. So instead of maybe in in the US, uh, you can say, okay, I have one person managing uh, Amazon. I suggest not because it's not a side project. But for us, if you want to do business in eight countries, you already need eight people developing the local market. So that's quite a large investment. What you mean, Steph, is somebody writing the content in local market, not just translating from one language to all the other languages. That's what you're talking about. Beyond the the language translation, what else goes into uh, doing a proper listing that's country, country specific? Well, for example, the different currency or the different VET levels. So you can't just say uh, the sales price is going to be 50 euro because in one country you get back 22 euro and other you get 26 euro back. So the delivery uh, costs are different. The return costs in some countries are different. The VAT is different. The sales fee is different. The currency is different. So you all, there is no European strategy. You need to do it on a local level also to make sure it's profitable. Steph, let me ask you something. I buy a lot from Amazon from Chinese companies that have created great products Sometimes they're just knockoffs of the of the U.S. product, but they have a little bit better uh, approach to it and definitely a cheaper approach. But I'm hesitant to buy from them because they have like weird grammar. The periods are in a wrong place, like all these basic things they don't have down. How is it that a company can manufacture a battery that you can plug into a wall and also connect to your iPhone, but also your iPad and computer, but they can't get a freaking sentence written right? What is going on? Well, that's actually a discussion that I have on a regular level. So a lot of companies, they say, I'm going to outsource it to, uh, to a freelance translator. 
but the freelance translator uh, often uh, also outsources again to somebody else. So what the, the, what the problem is, is that when you're from Germany and you see that somebody translated that is not a native German, you recognize it in the same second. Yes. And that directly has effect on the conversion ratio, but also on the reviews, right? You're not being taken too seriously. Right. But I think what is the main important, if you're building a brand, you want to have a uniform presentation. So what the difference is, when you send it to 10 or 8 different uh, translators, they all write it with their own, let's say, knowledge. But what we then actually do is we have an internal team, everybody sitting in the same location. We got a training from the brand and then together we develop it. So it's of course a totally different approach than when you just outsource it to different locations and then wait what the results will be. And you know what else is even worse than that? And the problem is you don't yes. know because you can't read it, right? If somebody translates right. for you in Italian, you, it always looks good, right? So, but actually a local recognizes when it's not done by a local one. Yeah, I mean, like an easy thing for us in the US to notice is if somebody says $45, but writes 45, then dollar sign, then we know that something is off <laughs> without even reading. Your eye just notices this is this is off. Um, the, the other thing that always gets me is if I look at the the answers to the Amazon questions and the answer starts with, kind sir or Mr. <laughs> right? I feel like this is way off and like they're, they're disconnected from us and I shouldn't because they're being nice. They're saying kind sir. They're responding to the question. It's coming from the manufacturer, but it also feels like, well, if you don't get that right, is there, uh, maybe I'm being too snobby, but it feels like if you're not getting the language down right, is the product really there? Are you really investing enough in us to care about what we need. All right, so this is your market. This well, is your business. Go keep ahead. in mind that that are just the Q and A's. But can you imagine when you receive a product and you and in, in the UK, in the US, of course, everything's in English, right? But you cannot send uh. English packages to the Netherlands or to Sweden or to to France, right? So it's it's also quite dangerous when you do not do the translation correct or you don't do any translations at all. You just hope that the client's not going to complain. Uh, because then it's going to have major effect on, on the long term. Because your Steph, project you do is that too? Delisted. Yeah, yeah. You, you actually will change the, the material in each box. Right, correct. You need yeah. to. I get boxes in the US that have one of these, like where the instructions are really just seven sentences, but they have them in this origami instruction manual so that they have every single language on the planet. Do you really need to create each box, each instruction, each each? presentation for the local country you yeah do? because because if you're here for i mean everybody thinks that e-commerce is fast business and some things it is also but actually it's long term you need to build up a brand so if you want to do it correct you can better make sure that it's well done so in the beginning it takes a little bit more preparation but on the long term you're taking more seriously and it will have effect that clients come back more often so yeah we make sure that everything is uh, compliant to the local market to avoid also issues right because you don't want to have a lawsuit in, in denmark or wherever that you already are losing it because you don't know the local market so that's something you want to avoid so better to do it all at once good and then you fin done how much money are you making what's your revenue say last year 2020 well, I think this. If you look, at, we we for the lot we started in 2018, and we are tripling our revenues on a, on a yearly level. And a goal for for this year will be a little bit above the 10 million. 2021 will be over 20, 10 million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Did you make correct. more than a million in profit last year, or is it all going into no, the business? No, no. no. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Okay. 
um, and no outside investors? Uh, well, we did actually two investment rounds uh, last uh, last year. How much? Uh, so, um, uh, let's say we have now a, a budget uh, up to a million available to to invest. You mean you don't just take it into your into your bank account? You just have a well, line. Well, we to do the we investors. do it in phases. No, we have it. We do it in phases, so you okay. use it in phases. Uh, that's how it works. All right. Quickly, if uh, anyone out there is still into my conversation styles, I know I've interrupted you a lot, Steph. As a, as no a European, is it annoying to have me constantly jump in? No, I mean I think it's good to to to, to keep the, the conversation going. So uh, keep keep doing it. I know no issue. For any, anyone out there who likes my interview and conversation style, wants to see how I do this, even in private conversations, go to unbounce.com slash Mixergy. They encourage me over at Unbounce to create a guide and I'm making it available to you for free. You don't even have to give an email address. Just go to unbounce.com slash Mixergy. Unbounce, of course, creates these landing pages and they built one for me unbounce.com slash Mixergy. Okay, um, you've came up with this idea because you, in your previous job, were working with brands to essentially do this. The difference was what you did before was you built a warehouse for each one of your clients in each country. You built a customer service team for each client in each country. Am I right about that? Yeah, correct. So for the last year, 10 years, I've been developing a European infrastructure to be able to sell direct to the end user so that the, cl the client in the Netherlands would think they're buying something in the Netherlands, but also the client in Spain, uh, Spain would think they're buying something locally. And uh, it's quite a big investment to, to set such thing up, and not only from the, the, the cost of it, but also to make sure that your complete team is aware that we're going to focus directly to the consumer market. So um, I, 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 of course, was good business. A lot of companies understand the importance of going cross-border because that's the only way to survive, especially on the long term, because the companies that are going uh, cross-border create more resources on the long term so they can actually buy the local markets. Um, but but the, the, uh, the thing that you did was you said, I'm building at this company where you were an employee of a company called, what is it, in Intermanagement? Is that where you did it? Yeah, so I worked for, as an interim management, I constantly got projects of, let's say, uh, three months up to two years, where I worked with the management team to discuss, okay, we want to go cross-border, always on a European level, what do we need to do? Do we have customer support that speaks seven languages? Do we have local return addresses? Do we have bank accounts? Do we Can we receive uh, a, a payment transaction? Because in, in the US, you have PayPal, you have credit card. But in the Netherlands, you have Ideal, where you have, for example, in Germany, a Bancomat. So in every country, there are different ways that clients pay. And that's something you all need to set up. So actually, you need to set up 50 different payment options on a website, but you don't show them because if somebody from the Netherlands sees a French payment solution, they are going to think, hmm, that sounds, that looks not really trustworthy. So that's what I always yeah. set, a, a European solution. Uh, but instead of constantly setting up the new infrastructure, I'm now offering it as a service. And so you did so, this. You did this for each company. Each company had their own thing built up just for them. And you said, hey, wait, why am I constantly repeating myself here and doing it for multiple businesses? How about I just create one company that does this for lots of different uh, businesses? They don't need to hire their own translators. We have them in-house. We do this as a service. You, uh, When you were working, in, uh, is the name of the company Intermanagement? Am I getting right? 
Well, uh, the company, uh, I worked always as a freelancer under the company EU Business Development. Ah, got it. Okay. And 2018, I, I set up the company Marketplace Distry. So we act as a distributor. So creating a traditional B2B transaction. Yep. But actually, we say we are distributor 2.0 because we have the complete infrastructure set up, including content management, review management, marketing campaigns, etc. That, of course, is not common for a distributor, but that makes us, let's say, distributor 2.0 for the manufacturers that we work with. Right. I want to go through the whole process of building up this business because I want to understand how you can create something in multiple countries that then services your clients in multiple countries, how you're getting clients in multiple countries. But let me just get what you did before, just for a little bit of context. You told me sure. before we got started that when you were doing this for, for businesses, you worked with a mobile accessories company. I'm guessing you can't give me the brand. Am I right? Sure, sure. It was a company in a, in a docking station. There was a, a German company that was very successful in, in Germany. So okay. they had a successful web shop and was selling only in Germany. So once when I saw actually the product, I directly knew, okay, this product has potential outside Germany. You reached but, out to them and you said, hey, hire yeah, me. I will make sure you're set up in all countries in the European Union or many of correct, them. Correct, correct. Correct. Okay. So that was directly, let's see how far are they right now with the operation. I mean, uh, how do the delivery contracts look like? So, if, for example, probably in the, in the US, you can go to DHL and organize uh, a delivery contract. But because in Europe, you are doing a lot of uh, different countries, in many cases, you have to work with a local delivery company to set up the, uh, the contracts. So you check what do they have organized right now? what needs to be done to make sure you have a good service level, but also, for example, returns. So returns sounds like something easy, but can you imagine that, for example, you ship to somebody in, in France, they ring the door uh, once or twice, and then they ship it back to Germany. Then before the product arrives, it's probably it's going back. We're talking about three weeks delay. Well, the client is sending, of course, emails that they never received to products. And that's so, the way it was when it was coming directly from Germany. They hired you because they wanted to set up uh, distribution in, in multiple countries. You did this. Give me, give me some of the pain in the neck parts of this process that you created for one client to, so that I understand how tough it was back then and how this new approach at Marketplace Distry is, is simpler. So what did you have to do that was so difficult? I mean, I, I think it's you're talking about so many different parts of operation. You're talking about what I already mentioned. You have customer support, you have local marketing, you have payments, you have returns, and you have all kinds of different operations. So you have to then set it up per operation, sign on contracts, hire new people, etc. And of course, quite complex to hire uh, seven customer support uh, managers. Um, so what, what is now the, the main big difference is that we say, okay, we offer it as a service. So we already have that complete infrastructure on it. No, I, I get um, it. I, I was hoping for maybe some examples of something that was especially difficult, maybe a story about one uh, thing that you I, did. I, that I think, uh, well, uh, the thing that I was mentioning, for example, with, with the returns and, and, and folks, I think Scandinavia is really interesting. Yeah. What happened? So, uh, so when you want to ship to Scandinavia and don't have a good delivery contract, that means that the post office can be 100 kilometers from the, from the house because, of course, nobody, you know, it's a big country with only 7 million people, for example, live in Sweden. So you can imagine when you, when you were not home and they say your product was shipped to the nearest post office, they have to drive 100 kilometers. That is causing issues. 
So the client says, I want to get my money back. And you're mandatory to pay the money back. within. Meaning the client does not want to go to the post office to pick it up because, because the, it's because a long drive just for this one kilometer, thing. Right. Got it. So what the issue is that you're paying the client, but your product is still in that post office. So before you actually get it back, if you ever got it back, you are having a big cash flow issue. Right. So, uh, and that to manage in, for example, 10 different countries with 10 different laws. Uh, for example, in Denmark, it was the case. If the product didn't arrive within two weeks, you had to already pay the client back. So you don't know where the product is. The client says they didn't receive it. So how did and how did you solve this for the say the mobile accessories company when you were building it just for them? How did well, you solve some of these problems? By for if you want to do business with Scandinavia for the logistical part, you were talking to uh, Bring. If you want to do business with uh, with France, you were doing with French Post or with Royal Mail. Or, so you just started so, creating these relationships for them with each carrier in each country. Correct. Yes, okay. All right. Correct. I see it. So now I could see how you're looking at your, at your life and you're saying, look, this is repeated. I think we could do this once and apply it and deploy it multiple times of multiple companies. I'm going out and creating a brand new business. It's going to be called Marketplace Distry. And then you need, I'm assuming, to pick one country that you're going to go into first and then get a client to work with that. No, you decided I'm no. going to go for multiple countries. How many countries do you say you want to go for? So we are now doing business in all the European Amazon countries. So that's but, 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 but take it back to the beginning, eight. the very yeah. first one. Right now, it's eight uh, countries that you're working with. But in the very beginning, yeah. you're about to launch. Did you say I'm going to work with all five countries that Amazon was with, or did of you course, say I'm going to pick? Course. You said all the way five, and so you needed a warehouse in each one of five countries. No. So what, what, what's really important is that uh, you want to focus. Your budgets are limited, so you want to focus on the on the market that brings the most value. So to actually gather the the right data, you need to be able to do some research, right? So we always say let's start on a UMP level and then focus the budgets on the countries with the most potential. So on that way, we get a sort of funnel, get actually some return of investment, and then use the rest of the return of investment to launch the countries that are not that successful yet. Okay. So we always go on a European level. I always advise it. From the very, jump. wait, let me see if I understand this. I'm very trying to understand beginning. how you built it. So the very beginning, you said, I'm going to go and buy a warehouse in each of five countries and set it up. Am I right? No. So no. The, the, uh, yes or no. So yes, directly, the complete infrastructure is set up on a European level. Everything. So the customers, well, the market. Step, but take me back, take me back the to the very beginning. When we're talking about today, I'm impressed and I'm amazed. But yeah. I want to know how you got to today. I want to know the first step oh, you took okay. before I, you I, ran. I think I worked a lot for, for Groupon. Uh, so Groupon was a, a daily deal site. Yep. That was uh, uh, every 24 hours, you had a new deal. And so I set up a lot for companies that wanted to sell on, on, on through Groupon. I set up that operation. So then you were talking to Groupon about a successful product in Germany. It also wants to be launched in Norway, for example. Okay, so this so is two, then, this is 2018. You go to Groupon. Two, they become your first. That's 2000, 2011. Uh, I started working with Groupon for approximately four years. Steph, I'm, I'm sorry. Steph, uh, Steph, I'm sorry. I want to go to, you start Marketplace Distry. Every time I ask you what's the first step you take, you say, no, we have to go and have all eight countries. I get it. Yeah. What you're telling me about Groupon, this happened a long time ago. I want to come back now. 2011. 2011. You, yeah. you founded Marketplace Distry in 2018. Am I right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Did you, day one, say, I started the company, we're a new business. 
quickly, let's go and buy five uh, distrib- distribution centers in five countries? Or did you say I'm going to start with one country? Uh, well, uh, I think in the first month I did business in the Netherlands. And I think in the third month I was doing business already in four countries. But okay. not having a local warehouse, but for example, having the local shipments in order. So what you often do, you outsource a part of the operation, such as, uh-huh. for example, the return address with local partners. So what, we, what you create is a sort of scalable, uh, flexible, also cost-friendly operation to make sure you don't have too much study cost in countries that are not too promising on the long term. So the first thing you did was you found partnerships in the countries that you wanted to work with so that you could get this done. It's not the most cost efficient. It's not the approach that gives you the most control, but it's the one that gets you going without a lot of uh, financial investment. Now that you had this, what did, uh, how'd you get your first customer? How, how I got, you mean it, and back in 2011 or in 2018? 2018. We're going through how you built Marketplace Distry to where it okay, is today. Well, first customer? Um, I think it's really just what I still do. I still simply pick up the phone. So if I see a, a product that has potential, so because what a lot of comp- companies maybe think when you sell something in the Netherlands, you also automatically sell it in Germany and France or whatever, but that's not the case. So there are not a lot of European market leaders, there are a lot of local market leaders, but not European. So I check if a product is successful, for example, in the Netherlands or Germany, I see if that product is also being sold, for example, in France or in the UK. And then I pick up the phone and I say, I think you're losing potential by not going on a European level. And this was you picking the clients that you wanted to have, calling them up, you personally cold calling them and telling them what you could do, the opportunity that they're missing by not doing it. Do you remember who the first customer was and what they sold? Uh, I think the, 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 the first company was uh, as, a, as a German company that sells a doctor, doctor's briefcases. So briefcases that doctors use when they go to yeah. uh, visit to the patients. Why were they the first ones? Why do you think they said yes to you? Because I saw a product with a high value, uh, good reviews, bad content. Uh, so I know that there was a margin to make for them. Uh, so, I mean, that was, let's say the combination of it all. Good product, good reviews, bad content. And you said, I think I could take this. They were already in other countries or you said, I think no, I could improve no, it. They no, were they weren't cafe. there. Right. So, and that's, a, I like those niche markets because who's selling doctors briefcases, right? Um, so uh, that, that for me is that uh, direct, okay, a good moment to see, okay, that, that product has potential. If you, for example, have a, you want to launch a, for a mobile uh, a case, there are literally in every marketplace 100,000 different cases. So it's much more uh, big. If you want to be in product page one, it's more from a strategical point of view, do your investment into sponsored campaigns than when you have a smaller market that has less competition that without too much large investment, you can still more easily rise up to the top of the pages. The first big result that you were able to get for your first client, the one that was selling briefcases for doctors, where did that come from? From changing the copy on their pages, from getting them in another in another country, where? V- variations, <laughs> that was, I think, the, the big thing. So it was a was bunch selling, of different things that you did. 
Yeah, well, no, so no, I, I mean, mean, their product was uh, one case in, for example, eight different variations, eight different colors. So what they created was actually eight different pages. But what happens if people go to a product page and don't like the color, they go back and see all the competition. So by simply offering the same variation, the same page, that directly had effect on, on the sales. Of course, by adding product pictures, uh, bullet points, etc. So let's say the basic optimization, internally we call that basic plus optimization, that directly created uh, a massive result. So if you look at, for example, at 2020, uh, the average growth that our suppliers had was 99%, unfortunately not 100%, but 99%, where the biggest one had over 400%, and that was a brand that's been selling on Amazon for over 10 years already. And so did you get paid a percentage of the increase that you got them in sales or, or so a fixed our, price? our business model is 10% of the excluding VET uh, with a minimum retainer of 2000 euro per month. But 10% of the increase in sales or 10% no, of the sales? the revenue, right. 10% of this, got it. And so they had to trust that you were going to lift their revenue enough for the 10% to be significant. To, to well, be. We, we, we signed four months contract. So, and then the four months, you got a performance report showing what we did. And in case they're not satisfied, you know, they lost four months. In the worst case scenario, they paid us 2,000 euro per month. So they lost 8,000, but on the other hand, so far, nobody, nobody quits because we are doing better than the, than the market. Okay. I think this makes sense. By the way, my second sponsor is HostGator. I like to talk in these ads for HostGator about how people can learn, use what they learn in these interviews to go and start a business and get a HostGator website to, to promote the business. I think I've come up with a basic idea. You tell me what you think of this. Imagine someone's <laughs> listening to us who goes, I'm bothered by these freaking companies that sell on in the US. Their, their, their content is crappy. Their customer responses are just nonsensical, but they're trying hard. What if they create just a copywriting service for Amazon and they sell it to these products that are selling well, have good reviews, but their responses are not very clear. So imagine what they do is they say, I'm going to go through Amazon. I'm going to find the, the highest rated batteries. I'm going to find the highest rated doctor briefca briefcases, and I'm going to go through them, etc. And I'm going to go through them and look to see who's not writing grammatically correct, who's not presenting themselves well. And then I'll contact the seller and say, I think I can increase your sales by improving your copy. In fact, I created this mock-up of what I could do for you by just editing an Amazon page. You know, you just use the, the tools that are built into your web browser to edit the page and make it look nice, right? The dev tools. And then you say, hire me as a service. I will do this. And then as the business scales and you get more and more clients, you start passing the work on to copywriters. And since you need a website in order to promote this, because people don't know who you are, they're going to go Google you. They're going to go look for a web page to sense that you're real and to see what you've done before and who you are. You go to HostGator and you get a host uh, hosting package to host your website. What do you think of that service, Steph? Do you think that would work in the US copywriting on Amazon pages? To these businesses that don't know how to express themselves well, hundred percent, and I'll explain you why. I yes. think every minute are two new companies that said, "I want to sell on Amazon." So I think I read an article today Oof. that there are already six million companies selling on Amazon, but the majority see it as a side project, and a big part of online, of course, is about content. So a lot of manufacturers just copy paste their catalog, but for a big part, it's just technical specifications. But as an online reader, you don't want to read technical specifications. You want to read the solution that the product is offering. 
So surely there's a big market. And if you are a little bit creative and you also have the right tools to do keyword research, then, uh, then already that's a big benefit because it's going to definitely make a big difference on, on your conversion ratio. What again have effect on the product page ranking and product page ranking also is important to make sure you get more traffic. All right. If you're out there listening to us and you like this idea or have your own idea and you need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. They'll get you set up quickly with a website. They'll make it easy for you to keep upgrading. They have an inexpensive plan. They have other plans that they don't put on their site. But I have to tell you, start cheap, build up, and they will scale with you. They've scaled with us. We just keep scaling up and up and up with HostGator, and you should too. If you go to my URL, you will get a low price, lower than they offer anyone else, and you'll get associated with us, which means it will help and we've got your back hostgator.com slash mixergy and by the way if you ever don't like them the beauty about hostgator is they're using um uh, open source software you just take your site and go somewhere else but we've been loving them and i think you will too hostgator.com slash mixergy stuff i love that idea all right so the first big lift came from building a better uh, a page for them on Amazon, unifying. So all the different colors of the, of the, of the briefcase are put on the same page, et cetera. What's the next big thing you were able to do for this one company that sold briefcases? Simply because the company was only selling in Germany by opening five new countries. So Germany, of course, is a big market. 80 million people live there. It's also the biggest market in Europe. But of course, not like US 300 million. So if you want to reach 300 million uh, consumers, you need to open up five other countries. So that's actually what we do. So what's a good way to scale without too much product development is actually entering new markets. So being able to be sold on the European level, of course, there, uh, has a, a big opportunity for growing your sales uh, quite dramatically. And then we're not talking about a 10% increase, but meaning opening new countries, in some case, uh, quadrupling the, the market potential. And again, in the beginning, you didn't have to have a warehouse in every place. You just had to have a good system and good relationships. And the system you told our producer came from working a decade plus doing this for other businesses. You already had what you called, I think you used the word playbook. You had a, a set of processes in place for doing this. Am I right? Correct. Indeed. So after 10 years, you know a little bit uh, how to set up an efficient uh, operation on a European level. So yeah, so I mean, it just it's gathering a lot of information and experience over the while because what is really uh, a thing that you want to avoid when selling to consumers that's of course that the average basket value is maybe 100 200 euros but your margins are also much lower so variable cost is something you want to avoid uh, because that's going to eat up your margin and also you cannot plan it really good in your budgets so it's good to have that experience to understand how you calculate pricing for example, I mean, in, in, in Sweden, they ask 25% VET, while in France, they ask 90% VET. So, uh, and you also need to do on local level, on country level, you need to do VET filing. So that is all. This, Europe would drive me freaking nuts. You're talking about there's like this much tax here, there's this much tax there, and Amazon doesn't handle all that for their for their retailers? No, no, that's something you're responsible for, for yourself. So you have to set up your own. Every country, you need to have a VET number. Every country, you need to do the VET filing. And of course, you don't want to take any risk in that because you want okay. to avoid that your company is going to be blocked in a country. Uh, so that's a, that is a bit of a complex thing to, to set up. 
But once it is set up, you also have a big advantage because, like I said, there are a lot of European leaders. So companies actually go on the European level, especially on the long term. You're creating more resources, becoming also more reviews, becoming you definitely on the long term a much stronger partner and the chance of growing and to become a market leader. You told our producer that you had conversations with your customers. You were starting to see that the biggest question that they were coming up with is, how much is this going to cost me? But you realize that it's that there's more psychology behind it, that they're not that they're expressing in that question a different need. What was it that they were looking for when they were trying to decide whether to work with you, Steph? What was it that you were picking up on that they didn't even know how to articulate? Um, I, I'm not, let me, I'm not sure if I, I completely, can you maybe ask the question on a different thing? Maybe this is what Ari was able to pick up on from your, from her conversation with you that sure. they would ask you, what is the cost? But what they really wanted was reassurance. They were, they didn't want to say, reassure me that your infrastructure is organized. Reassure me that this is safe. Reassure me that this is cost-effective. Correct. Instead, In right? general, pe- people don't want to hear how complex it is. They want to understand the market. Opportunity, and you want to understand, of course, the strategy behind it and the approach. But you want to avoid too much detailed conversations about how we're going to do it. So we avoid the details. Of course, we can answer any question, but it's more from okay, where are you today? Let's have a let's evaluate what we can do with the current uh, fundament and what we need to be able to, for example, launch a product on the European level. So what you present is, let's say, an end story, and we look at where we are, and you make the steps in between. And often because we are responsible for the majority of that uh, of that operation, um, uh, it, it, it becomes also for them a less a complicated thing to say yes for, uh, to. Because if you, for example, have to involve all that different departments to, to set this up, then you need to talk, for example, to the management team to get them, uh, let's say, convinced also to, to invest into, uh, into the European markets. So because we just offer a B2B transaction, that makes the decision often much, much more doable and, and therefore uh, with quicker results for both parties. Because Once like got- I said, you don't want, you want to avoid too much complications on how we, for example, do the VT finding on, on country level. I imagine that at some point you want to maybe give them a list of all the things that you do just to make them sense how overwhelming it is and say, okay, enough, Steph, you handle it. We'll see sales <laughs> I'll, growth, I'll, I'll right? I'll tell you, I'll tell yes. you, uh, almost all the clients that say, no, we're going to do it ourselves. We, we always we always are smiling a bit towards each other and in the team. Okay, let's call them back in, in six months. <laughs> so only this week we had, for example, a company that was from Eastern Europe. So oh, we're going to do it ourselves. And now they said, well, it's a little bit more complex than we uh, anticipated. So what can, what can we do? Because it's not a it's not a side project. You really you shouldn't see the biggest e-commerce opportunity, biggest e-commerce platform as a side project. You need to make sure you do it uh, professional. Once you got some customers, you were able to um, get numbers to bring to future clients. They saw the numbers. They saw that you had a reputation. That's how the business is starting to snowball. You're reducing your expenses by, well, not reducing the expenses, but you're you're getting more control of your infrastructure by having warehouses. Do you have warehouses now in all eight, eight countries that you work in? 
So no, we don't have warehouses in eight, eight countries. But what, how we actually got started and what really made our business really interesting is that we have a really close relationship with uh, with Amazon. So we got we grew a catalog to over hundred thousand products. So we are one of the largest catalog suppliers within Amazon, and those were also those products that we're buying for our own risks. So. A, 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 so it's really crucial uh, uh, that you're going to set up a really efficient operation. So um, what is the, the big advantage is then when we, when you have set an operation that does such uh, strong volumes, is that when a new company comes in, uh, you don't have all the startup costs, you don't have high operational costs because you're trying to run as an efficient operation as possible. Do you think at some point Amazon is going to say, Steph, thanks for doing this. We don't need you anymore. We're going to do this ourselves. It seems like it's a natural for them to get into the space. Well, yes and no. I mean, a, a part of the of the business already being offered by Amazon, such as Amazon Prime, that, for example, uh, customer support or, uh, for example, creating the, the, the manuals or and set, setting those marketing campaigns. That's not something that Amazon is going to offer to 3 million sellers. That is uh, almost uh, impossible to, to to organize because there are so much. I mean, we have vendor business and we have, we have a seller business, and uh, also talking to a lot of let's say what smaller companies that do, for example, million revenue to work five people. So the person that's going to invest into growing such a market doesn't want to just say, okay, here is a two thousand euro per month, fix it. No, they actually want to understand what you're doing to grow their brand. Because often it's a product that came from their own passion. So they want to understand that you're doing it with also their best interest. So there's a lot of personal, uh, there's a personal approach when you're growing the business together. And Amazon as a company where a million people work, uh, it's it's difficult to build up a personal relationship, let's say. I so get for, it. The so big com- for, the, for the big companies, yes. yes, I believe that you can... Uh, more organized such things when you work with, with Amazon, but the majority of the companies that sell on Amazon are not multinationals with 500 employees. Those are companies with up to 20 employees, for example. So then, uh, then they prefer when, to work with a local that you know knows what they need. But I, I feel like there are two different parts of your business. One is the marketing side where you're creating copy, you're actually interacting with customers. And I understand why Amazon would want the seller or a rep of the seller to do that. But then there's the mechanics of how do you make sure that you're getting the right uh, taxes done in each state, in each country? How do you make sure that uh, things get delivered directly to the warehouse? You don't think Amazon at some point is going to want to take that over. You, The way you envision it is they don't want those logistics getting to Amazon. They want the logistics once it's in Amazon's control. They don't want to deal with anything un- until they have c- complete possession. I think, of course, apart a Amazon, uh, there are ways to outsource a part of your, your VET uh, options to, to Amazon. Uh, but if you look, for example, last year, that was only active for I think six months and then it was full, so it was paused. So there was direct uh, waiting line, let's say. Uh, but I think what the major thing is is that as soon as you import a product, you're ten years responsible for that product. So if you don't have a hub in Europe, then Amazon will stay, uh, could be taking a lot of risk by receiving the product direct from from America. And I think that's something that what that they want to avoid in in many cases. 
uh, surely they, there are options for the larger companies to set up a relationship with Amazon, but not when you talk with the large seller database that Amazon has, because you need to do a compliance check on each product to uh, ensure ah, okay. that there is less risk, right? So uh, you don't want to have a product that in five years later is going to cause that houses are burning down as a really worst case scenario. Uh, so I think uh, there's a lot involved that uh, any legal department wants to avoid as much as possible. Do you think that a large part of your business is going to go off Amazon in the next, say, five years? Where do you see e-commerce going in Europe? Well, so uh, today our, our main focus is Amazon, but uh, to be able to work on a European level in every country, there are, let's say, three major marketplaces. So, uh, for example, in Germany, it's 50% of the market, but in the Netherlands, it's just 20% of the market, and the other marketplace is, for example, Bob.com. So, uh, what we will be uh, ensuring is that the, every brand is doing to, going to do business with the top three marketplaces in a country, uh, okay. and that is the only way on the long term to to let's say have a composition is it is it mostly marketplaces or are standalone shops using shopify or woocommerce and platforms like we that? are 100 focused on marketplaces 100 why marketplaces that's where the, because the majority marketplace, of sales are made. It, the majority of the sales being made that's the biggest growth market and uh you wanna if you're gonna work with uh 10 different web shops per country, it's going to be a complex thing because also the contractual terms are different. Sometimes they have up to six months return uh, agreements. So then again, you have variable cost and that's something we, again, trying to avoid. So everybody knows everyone making money and if yes, how much without too much prices. But in general, it's the biggest opportunity for, for, for every brand. Steph, what do you make of this place on buy? I've been talking to the founder, Cass Patton. He's supposed to do an interview here, but every time we have the interview scheduled, and he's done a ton of work to prepare for the interview, but every mm. time the interview is actually scheduled, something happens where his business just keeps growing. Is this BS? Is this real? What do you make of this on buy marketplace? Yeah, you know, I'm following on buy with a lot of attention because it's uh, one of the fastest growing marketplaces in, in the UK. I think they're, they're doing like a six. 100% year by year for the last uh, four years. So, and that's actually quite interesting that such a new marketplace is able to create a, a position within, in the market where Amazon is so much present. So yeah. no, that is definitely a, a marketplace to, to be focusing Why? on. Why are it's they doing so well? Why is OnBuy suddenly taking on so many customers and getting sales? I think also, if you look, for example, look in the Netherlands, why is Bold.com so successful? I think it's the, the local approach. It's the local feeling that you are stimulating the local market, a uh, high service level again. And uh, I mean, the customer support also has a, has a big, uh, big impact. So especially when you look, for example, on, on Amazon, a lot of sellers and sellers doing their own customer support, as we uh, discussed. And not everybody replies within 24 hours or comes up with an easy solution. Or uh, So if you then have a company that is more focused on that, uh, then the, I see opportunity for growth. So it's it's just another marketplace. I think um, they don't have their own warehouse with OnBuy, right? And in most countries, they don't. It's more like an eBay, from what I understand, where individual sellers are selling new products right. largely, right? And the reason right. that they're taking on more customers 
is because they're more local than Amazon. And that's why OnBuy is doing well and other marketplaces throughout Europe are doing well? I think that is uh, making the customers very loyal uh, to, to, uh, to, to such things. Just the local experience and the high customer support. Now, that's, of course, different. I mean, I often discuss about uh, about what, what e-commerce does. So in the beginning, when you had a shop and uh, and that was, for example, 100 kilometers, uh, comparative was 100 kilometers selling the, the same product, that was not an issue. Then a web shop came and they started attracting customers from all over every local sh- shop. So that was a big impact by, by retail, uh, but uh, by e-commerce. But the good thing is, is that the revenues and also the taxes and the staff stayed within the UK, for example. But now you have uh, larger uh, cross-border e-commerce companies that are uh, having the staff outside the country and are not paying any taxes. So that, of course, is a double the loss for a company by not having the taxes, but also losing, of course, the, the jobs. So I think uh, uh, if companies, marketplaces can stimulate that more, that creates a sort of loyalty to make sure that you buy it from a local marketplace. What about this? Your clients are selling to different marketplaces. We've been talking about brand and loyalty. Most people have loyalty to the marketplace that they buy from, not to the store. How does, not to the seller, how do sellers that you've worked with create a connection to their customers that makes them want to come back and buy from the product, not just from the next rando that they find on the marketplace when they do a search? Good, good, good point. So uh, a big part of the customer experience is based on logistics. How quickly you get and get my product, how easy it's going to be returned. So, and that part Amazon does very, very well. Uh, but if what is really important is that the description of the product actually is exactly what you're getting. So, you mean you can't make the story too beautiful. So, what you are actually creating is uh, a brand story with a good quality expectations. And that gives people trust to come back again, to buy at uh, your brands. But also keep in mind, uh, for example, in uh, in Germany, 50% of the e-commerce revenue goes through Amazon, but 65% of the product searches start on Amazon. So in a lot of cases, Amazon is being used as the, the hub to find the product, but once they actually found the product, you see often that the buyer wants to buy it locally or direct from the retailer. So it's... Uh, that, that is definitely an interesting thing to, to keep in mind. But you haven't found any way of bringing people back once they do buy from a marketplace of building some kind of loyalty or connection. It doesn't seem like I have. That's why many stores just go to their own their own storefront, the WooCommerce, the Shopify, et cetera. Right. right? That is, yeah. that's, the chal- that's a big challenge. True. All right. By the way, I'm going to close this out with this one observation that I made about you. You are moving around <laughs> so freaking much while we're talking in this interview. I move around usually too. It's the fact that I've been doing these interviews that I've learned. Is this a thing with you? Like, are you someone who just needs to keep moving? Uh, maybe, maybe it's the chair. I don't know. I, I actually got, I heard it once before a couple of months ago, but uh, that's, that's true. Also, maybe how I'm sitting. I'm actually not sitting as straight in front of the camera. But that I, I heard one of the problems helped. you had was you were a hard worker growing up, but you weren't a good student because your mind was always wandering. Was it like a mind and body can't sit still, has to do too much type of situation you got? No, I think in general, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's a really natural uh, feeling that you want, urge that you want to do something for, for yourself. 
Yeah. And so then you want to focus exactly what you have in mind and all the rest is, let's say, bullshit. So I think that 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 makes me not a really good student uh, when it goes outside my own business. Oh, because you're saying that there were things growing up that you saw in school and you said, that's BS. I do not want to study that. And your mind just wouldn't focus on it. Got it. And to this day, do you still do that? Are there things that just don't matter that you're supposed to care about? They go, that's BS. I'll deal with it later. Well, I, I actually had evaluation meetings uh, this week, but also with our operational uh, head of operations, Eleonora Bastini. And um, that's one of my, my common things is that I'm actually really a focused guy, but when I find it less interesting, I don't really go too much into detail. So then I make sure somebody else is, <laughs> is like doing what? it. What is, what's a natural part of business that you've said, it's not where my mind is going to focus. I got to pass this on to someone else, even though I should be handling it. Uh, I think what what I hate is, for example, um, uh, when we, for example, importing products, and there's a lot of documents involved, and sometimes documents are not well prepared up front by yeah. whatever party. So then you really need to f- focus on which party made the mistake, where are the goods, how to get them in. And then I just say, fix it. And of course, I give some input how we did it in the past. But in general, if I let people do it themselves, they also will be able to organize it themselves. All right. For anyone who wants to sell in Europe, it feels like you're the company to go to. And the place to go is marketplacedistry.com. Of course, we'll link it up here in the show notes. I want to thank you for doing this interview and thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you still like my conversation style and you want to apply some of it to your daily conversations, there is a free guide available. No email address, no nothing, no shenanigans. All you have to do is go to unbounce.com slash Mixergy. I really do wish that they would have collected email addresses, but it's all on them. They do it however they want. They're paying for the ad. They get to control it. Unbounce.com slash Mixergy. I did control the writing. I wrote it all myself. And I also want to thank the, the host uh, HostGator sponsor. If you need a hosting package for your new business or don't like your current hosting package, go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. Steph, thanks so much for doing this interview. Go enjoy Tuscany. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you very much for, 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 for the interview. I really appreciate it. Right on. Bye. Bye, everyone. All right, dude, I'll send you a link as soon as it's up, but that was, that was great. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, for me, I was, um, I was realizing later, maybe I was promoting a bit too much of what I did and you wanted to focus more on, let's say the high level as an entrepreneur looking from different perspective. Uh, unfortunately I, I, I realized that a little bit too late. Uh, no, you went with it. I think much. that I think well, before we started, when we when we were picking a focus and a way to explain the story, I think it did a lot of good. I think people are going to get it much more because of that. I appreciate you going oh. through that with me and not thinking I was an asshole for asking about it. No worries. And uh, and you should have told me that the moving thing in the beginning, because now you can see I can sit, I can focus. I think the I... moving was great, dude. <laughs> I forget his name, but uh, Israel's Israel's only billionaire. He was on. The freaking guy almost fell out of his chair. And, <laughs> and so I brought it up and he said, yeah, this has been going on for me ever since I was a kid. But literally, you see him in the video, Zoom, going like this, rocking back, rock, almost falling out of his chair. I had to I had to bring it up. I think it's pretty common. If I wanted to really, uh, uh, one of the most interesting guys I know is Manus Harasgama. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the founder of, of Joint.com. It's, I think, the fastest UMP in uh, SaaS solution. So uh-huh. am I able to write something? Yeah, you yes, write. Yeah, you want to chat it so, over to me? So join.com, Manoj Haraskama. Okay. Why do I know join.com? I, 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 I know the guy for, for ten, I think almost 10 years now from the e-commerce industry. And, I, and he's the hardest working guy I ever met 
also one of the intelligence guys. You think met. I should be interviewing him? Should I follow up? Yeah, you should, be to- you, should, you should be talking to him, really. I think I, I never met a guy that I think if I'm going to know a future billionaire, then it's, then it's Monash. The founder no of joke. join.com and he's doing yeah. free recruiting software. Right. But if you look at this profile, you can see he did some quite some interesting projects in, in the past, quite successfully, several exits. I mean, big, big eight, eight, eight Hell yeah. If, you, if you're good with it, I'd love to follow up with you and ask you for an intro to him. Sure. No, of course. That's why I'm saying I, I didn't ask if he would be interested, but I mean, I was thinking on uh, who's an interesting guy. And then for sure, it's, it's Manoj. He has a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience and doing very cool stuff. And he's also, for me, he's definitely an inspiration. Also, because I know his working habits, right? He's, uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a go-getter for sure. All right. I'll ask him about that. And I appreciate you turning me on to him. Thanks so much. And thanks for doing this interview, yeah. dude. If, if you want, I can give you his email address. Oh, yeah. Should I just reach out to him directly? Yeah, just okay, put me CC and say, hey, and then see how it goes. I think it's just monash.harskaman. Well, let me check to be sure. Monash. Yeah, here it is. Copier. Here it is. Zoom. I'm looking it up right now. He's a really interesting guy, really. It looks like he's doing some angel investing now. He, um, you met him when he was a Groupon? Yeah, correct. Uh, okay, makes sense. All right, I will, uh, I'm, I'll send him an email and I'll CC you. Sure. Hey, again, thanks so much, Andrew, and, uh, and have a nice. Uh, when actually is going to, well, I'll be receiving the link. You we have some normal. flexibility. It's usually about two, three weeks because we've got a backlog, but if a guest says I need it faster or slower, we adjust for sure. I don't I don't have a preference, so I will just keep it with a, mo- a month to be alive. What, what's the average of number of people that uh, that normally listen to a podcast? Uh, it's a little bit over 20K per Whoa. interview. That's a lot. Good number. <laughs> I always feel like Congratulations it's never enough. Congratulations on that. Thanks. Really impressive. All right, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, dude.